I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Birdline. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. No computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. Reliable computer everything. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the great robot wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Why do you linger here when there is no hope? There is still hope. Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomesdown at your service and... Tawny Tanuvial, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf. For What Would Arwen Do? on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM and streaming live on KUCI.org. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. You are listening to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, Orange County's alternative radio station, and quite possibly the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. I am Tani Chinuviel, the resident KUCI Middle Earth elf, Welcome to What Would Arwen Do? every Tuesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. My govanin and suilait to everyone listening live and online and to my charming Hobbit co-host. Milo Lomsdown at your service, Elf Princess. And greetings to all of our friends listening live at 88.9 FM here in Orange County and also around the nation and around the world at KUCI.org where we stream alternative radio and great radio 24 by 7. Also, greetings to our podcast listeners. You can get the podcast for What Would Arwen Do? two ways, generally about a day after the show. You can go to KUCITalk.org, and What Would Arwen Do? is listed there. Or you can go to the iTunes store, search for Arwen, that's A-R-W-E-N, 
and you will find What Would Arwen Do podcast there for free also. And thank you for being such a technology-proficient hobbit, because I am the technology-challenged elf, and I really appreciate you getting that podcast up for our listeners. Well, you're quite welcome. Hobbits, as you know, are practical. (laughs) We elves are a little more ethereal. We like to walk in starlight and sing songs and dance and... Uh, we do attend to things, but we do have a tendency to have our, our head in the heavens at times. <laughs> and you take the wonderful longer view, where sometimes we hobbits are paying too much attention to what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next hour, <laughs> instead of the longer term. Well, if you are tuning in for the very first time, you may be wondering, what is this show all about? This is What Would Arwen Do? Well, if a Middle-Earth elf lived today in Southern California, in Irvine to be more precise, what might her life look like? How would she as a modern elf celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? Some people like to ask... What would Jesus do? And that is a very good question. But on this program, when challenges in life arise, or as the wizard Gandalf puts it, quote, questions, questions that need answering, we like to ask, what would Arwen do? Or what would an elf do? Who was Arwen, you may be wondering? In J.R.R. Tolkien's mythology of Middle-earth, Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves and lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing lore and wisdom, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine, where we have our own Middle-earth campus and Ring Road. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair, celestial home called Earth, or an elvish Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light, through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and her service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias wrote, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This, quote, elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, like dwarves, hobbits, and the like, partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. So, as an elf, I believe this, quote, elven quality exists today in every living person and yearns for expression through gifts of creativity, nobility, and service to others. So, welcome again. Ellen Dali, Elf Friends, Ellen Salalumen Namentielvo, A Star Shines on the Hour of Our Meeting, my dear Hobbit. Thank you for being here. It's my, my privilege and pleasure to be with you these Tuesday afternoons, Elf Princess. And what fun we have today. We uh, do not have an interview, but we have so many wonderful things to cover. Uh, in case you are just tuning in or kind of wondering where we're coming from, I um, have been living my experiment of my life as an elf for over 10 years now, falling in love with the elves through the 
uh, movie magic of Peter Jackson and the Fellowship of the Ring, and then falling in love with the uh, literary works of Professor J.R.R. Tolkien. But I am just one who likes to go to movies and just see whether I like it or whether I don't. And my uh, the movies I like most are generally about the hero's quest and about people overcoming obstacles. However, my Hobbit, my delightful Hobbit co-host that I'm so excited, and today marks just about almost to the day, I think, our second anniversary of being on the show together, Elf Princess. Two years. I can't believe it. it two wonderful years. Two wonderful years. And it has been such a delight to have you on the show. I loved doing the show when I was doing it before. I always had wonderful things to talk about. And, and wonderful guests. And wonderful guests. And But I, after about four years, I was kind of thinking, you know, it would be nice to have someone. And then you had taken the training. I was laid off. The Hobbit wife found an advertisement in the local register, the Orange County Register, our local newspaper, saying they're looking for DJs. You don't get any money, but it might be an interesting way to spend some time. And KUCI, being the wonderful, amazing place that it is, is one of the few radio stations that, uh, while we have a DJ training every quarter. It is one of the few stations that actually opens their training to community members. Once in a while. Once in a while, during the summer months, and um, occasionally during the rest of the year for people who might be interested in doing a public affairs program. Now, it's always open, of course, to the faculty, staff, and, of course, students especially. We love the students here. You just heard a student on the program before us, Funk Your Face with Tian. Oh my gosh, what a great program she I had know, today. I know, it, it always makes Hard me... Hard act to follow. I know, it always makes me want to dance, I want to get up and move around and always feel good. Um, it reminds me a lot of the wonderful show that was on just prior to ours. Um, I don't know if it was last quarter, but a couple of quarters ago, uh, Pixelated Harmonies. That's right. With Amy, who, uh, and I think she still might be doing a show. I think she's coming back in the fall, yes. is the rumor I hear. And it was always movie um, music for happy people. And it just made you feel so uplifted. And that's uh, again, just one of the wonderful things about uh, KUCI, about being involved here, and about supporting this station, which, if people are interested, we're always open to taking donations. You can do it right through our website. But um, it's a wonderful place for students, and our programming changes very often from quarter to quarter as students come and students go and you know have other things going on. So each quarter, our um, programming changes a little. Some um, programs don't necessarily go away if you tune in, you know, if you come back and you're trying to find a program, please look at the whole program guide because it might simply have gotten moved to another time slot. Please go to KUCI.org and click on Schedule for a comprehensive listing of all 168 hours of the week and what is playing on each of the seven days in the week. Yes, and just a reminder that... We are always also uh, streaming live on the Internet through our website and through iTunes. And many of our public affairs programs can be found at our uh, talk radio website, KUCITalk.org, and also through iTunes. Absolutely right. So today, though, uh, congratulations. Here we are. And, and so we met. I, you had this incredible voice. and That's I thought, what people say. The <laughs> Hobbit is just an ordinary little little guy i'm just a little guy that does my little computer stuff and yeah little guy a little bit on the order of a frodo or a samwise gamgee i would say oh you embarrass me Elf so Princess. as galadriel says and i think i actually have her comment 
on that very thing. This is what Gladriel has to say about just being a little, being a little hobbit. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That is even, so great. Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. And it's very, and you, very true. And you have and you have with me. It has been such a delight. And I love the fact that, you know, we have two different voices. You know, it's not two girls on here or something, so we have your beautiful deep voice and then my elf voice. Your beautiful <laughs> your beautiful high voice. High and low. Mm-hmm. Yin and yang. Yin male and, and female. Yes. Young Hobbit, and old. Hobbit and elf. Hobbit and elf. <laughs> So, oh my gosh, we have so we have wonderful things to talk about today. And um, as I mentioned, you know, because I, I kind of fell in love with the with the movies and then the books, and I really love the books, like you know, the Silmarillion, which is all the backstory. I'm one of those research nuts that likes all the backstory things. And you being a, in a, a professional movie critic, so me coming from the perspective of, oh, I just see it. I'll see, just see if I like the story, and I'll just see if I like the way they put it on the screen. I'll just see, oh, and do I like the music? Does the music seem to work just purely from an aesthetic perspective of my own personal um choices and yet you are um an expert on these things so can comment from a much deeper level i don't know if i'd use the word expert but i have seen an awful lot and i have definite views on the nature of cinema well, could you just tell a little bit? Now, it's more than just uh, having definite views because you have actually traveled quite extensively as a movie reviewer. Is that correct? Yes, I've been to 10 New York film festivals. I've attended the Telluride Film Festival 15 times. I've had critics' credentials at the Cannes Festival in Cannes, France. The, the big one, as they say, mm-hmm. as well as I've attended the Toronto Festival three times, including its first year in 1976, et cetera, et cetera. I've attended many, many film festivals and talked to many fel- fellow fans and talked to many filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And that's the enjoyment I get out of, of film festivals is really talking to the fellow fanatics that really love <laughs> the art of cinema and yes. talking to the filmmakers, especially mm-hmm. the directors, the cinematographers, the editors, the screenwriters, about what their intention is. The stage is a medium for the actor, as any actor will tell you. It's really the actor's it's really the actor's central focus in a work of drama is the actor. In film it's something different. The actors are very important. They're not cattle, the way someone quoted Alfred Hitchcock as saying, but, <laughs> but actors are less important in and of themselves. They are collaborators, of course. That's right. the great thing about cinema is a collaborative medium. And when you have the director, Peter Jackson, and the cinematographer, Andrew Lesney, and the actors like Sir Ian McKellen and Kate Blanchett and Hugo Weaving mm. and et cetera, and, and, and all those great people, Right, Sir Christopher Lee, all working together on all yes. ten, sing- all, all ten, all ten cylinders, twelve cylinders, sixteen <laughs> cylinders. It's a mighty engine yes. that can produce tremendous beauty and tremendous meaning. And the thing is, um, with the actors and actresses, y- you know, you can have a great story, and if you don't have your if your casting is off, you know, a movie can kind of fall flat if people just don't like. The care, you know, the lead, that actor. 
That's it's, exactly it's, right. It's amazing. This so it's this wonderful little synergistic magic that has to happen between it's all got to be all great here with the story and the script and the adaptation and the you know bringing it to the screen, but then you got to have the people who can deliver the goods. And if you don't, then no matter how hard the director works or how, how, how hard the cinematographer works, the film is not going to be satisfying. Mm, right. So it's all so exciting, and I'm so excited because we get to uh, talk about these things. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for having you here is that as an elf, I am all about expanding my experience of things. So as much as I've enjoyed watching the films and um you know, reading the books and learning all the behind. You have brought to me the um, gift of being able to get deeper insight into these things, you know, about how this was made and what Peter Jackson did and the nuances of bringing things to the, f- to the screen. And so it's been wonderful for me because it is, again, through our interaction, it has yet again expanded my joy and delight at the world of Middle Earth. And, and, that's what and you, movies in general. That's what you do as an elf is you have all of these experiences and then you integrate them into producing the appropriate outlook on life. What would Arwen do what in a particular Arwen situation do? regarding the animals of the earth, the fellow human beings of the earth, the earth itself? What is the proper thing to do based on your experiences, observations, and thinking as an elf. And asking the question, what would Arwen do recently? Um, you know, I was in a little car collision, and which has been an interesting adventure now of three months. But I believe that everything in life is perspective. So you can look at it like, oh, you know, I was in this accident. I got hurt. I wasn't able to move forward with, you know, teaching my yoga classes. My car was totaled. That, 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 that. You could create that whole story. Or you can cast it in a whole completely different perspective, which I am um, always loving that things are the way they are. But there's all, you can build one story around this set of circumstances. You can build another story. And so for me, not, you know, the car that I had paid, for, you know, was paid off and I'd had, was going to have for a couple more years, was gone. And I just wasn't in a position to really make a decision about a car. You know, did I, should I get a new one? I don't want to get car payments. Should I get a used one? How do I find one? I've never had to find one. Small before. car, medium-sized yeah. car, big car. Do I need a truck for archery equipment? Or maybe I just need a smart car that just me and one other person fits in. Because um, I had always determined that if I got another car, it was going to be you know, like a hybrid or something. But... The interesting, so it's like, well, what would Arwen do? <laughs> and what has been wonderful is that I've been able to, I, it's what I, what I realize a lot of times in life is not that it doesn't come down to an either or question. It's generally both and. So for right now, I don't have to decide what kind of car, and I don't need one right now. What I discovered is that most of everything that I go to and the things that are important that I need to do, my work, my radio, even you know my doctor's appointments that I'm still having to do a little bit, the library, are all within three to five miles of my house. So I've discovered the delight in walking, which we elves love to walk places. I've got some really good walking shoes. I've discovered and getting some exercise and walking. I've discovered the bus goes right a block from my house and drops me right in front of the door of several of these places that I like to go to. And for those places that I can't walk and the bus doesn't go, I got myself a scooter. So now I'm the scooter elf. There are many ways of getting around. There's bus, 
There's friends that can drive you. There's car. Yeah. There's bicycle. There's moped. And there's scooter. And it's wonderful because I feel like I'm reducing my carbon footprint. I'm not, not driving a big... You are. You know, absolutely and, and reducing your carbon. And I'm getting 80 miles to a gallon. I don't have car payments. I just have this little scooter. The insurance on the scooter was um, for an entire year was a, just a little more than it was for my car monthly. Um, right, for an entire year. For an entire year. And yeah. by the way, it is such a classy vehicle. It's when I saw classy. your scooter today for the first time live, it has that beautiful black and white checkered pattern like a like a racing flag. Yeah. And then it has so that it beautiful up. nameplate, Honda Metropolitan. <laughs> it's a Honda Metropolitan. It's just beautifully designed. It's it I think it's a little elf horse. And so And the, really, I mean, Arwen got around. Did she ride? A hundred horses at once, or fifty horses at once? No, she rode one horse, and Which she I got around just do. fine. If I could, if if I could get around by horse, that would be my very first choice. But, but the scooter is like a one horsepower yeah, vehicle. Yeah, in 2011 in Irvine, there's not too many places to park your horse, so <laughs> it wouldn't be kind to the horse. It wouldn't be kind to the horse. It wouldn't be kind to the whole general environment. It's it's, it's just not not practical. But the scooter is, and I'm having so much fun, and I get to feel the wind in my hair. And and the sunshine on my shoulders, and um, so the lesson we're learning here is in in this situation. What would Arwen do? Arwen would say, "What do I options. actually need, yeah. and what are my options?" What are my options? And then pick the best option for you and the surrounding world. And it's about creating the story that you want to have. Do you want to create a victim story, or do you want to create an overcomer story? So my, in my case, it's like, well, uh, duh, of course I'm, I'm going to create the overcomer story. The, you know, this isn't going to get me down. And making it fun and making an adventure and saying, well, so what can I learn through doing things this way that hadn't occurred to me before, that I would have probably never chosen just on my own. I wouldn't have just said, oh, I just won't have a car. I'll just do these other things. I wouldn't. I, would, I just simply wouldn't have. But the universe said, oh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to have this wonderful adventure. And I have to say, <clears throat> and Elf would notice this, that if there was any place that you would want to scooter and feel safe, if there was any time of the year, you know, we are in Irvine, Newport Beach. It's summer, so it's warm out. It's a perfect time of the year to be scootering about. You don't have to worry about getting all wet and cold and snowy. And, uh, you know, so there's lots of, it's like the perfect time and opportunity to do it. Maybe by fall when it starts getting cold and rainy, I'll have a car or something. But right now I have to decide about it. 80 miles per gallon is mighty attractive. So um, my um, request is for those of you out there, just uh, maybe to be, again, you know, practicing mindfulness. We elves like to be mindful. And remember to share the road. A lot of times, I, for me, I'm on the other side now. You know, there might have been times when I'd pull up to the stop sign and a whole, you know, herd of bicyclists would come up and I'd be thinking, oh, they make me nervous and should I turn? Or they go, well, they're there. That, that may be their mode of transportation. You know, they're, so let's be kind to each other. You know, let's be mindful of the cars. Let's be mindful of the bicyclists. Let's be mindful of the scooters. Let's be mindful of the joggers. If we obey the laws and are respectful of each other, everything will be fine. Yes. So if you're just tuning in, this is What Would Arwen Do? with Tani Chinuviel and... Milo Lomestown on KUCI-FM 88.9 Irvine, also streaming live 24 by 7 at KUCI.org. 
So let's have a little background music here and get into our uh, adventure report and movie news, which Absolutely. is which is kind of kind of tied together, I think. So here's a little here's a little Hobbit music to get us in the mood for the Hobbit movies oh, coming up. This music is so great. Academy Award-winning music from Howard Shore. That from the original soundtrack, and a little bit later we'll be hearing a little piece from the complete recordings. So, my dear Hobbit, <clears throat> what do you have for us in movie news? Is there any movie news There's for this week? There's so much that I don't know where to begin. <laughs> but I will begin with one of the greatest surprises in Southern California in recent memory. We all knew that Steven Spielberg would show up at Comic-Con, which concluded recently in San Diego, oh, as it no, does I once a I year. I wish I could have gone, but personal Maybe next year we may need to think about well, going. Next year we don't need to think. Next year we will go. We'll One plan. of us will go. No, we'll go. We'll both and, go. And, and we will be there on site, and we will have a real adventure report. So this year, Peter Jackson had said he's not showing up with Hobbit stuff because he's really not ready. He doesn't think it's time. It's The time is not right. So we didn't expect him. But here is from my favorite source of news about movies, mm-hmm. old ones and new ones. Peter Jackson on stage at Comic-Con with Steven Spielberg. The first time appearance of legendary director Steven Spielberg at Comic-Con was a big, big deal. Despite all his top-grossing and critically acclaimed movies that fit the genre, appearing at the show had never worked out. So knowing he would show up to talk about the adventures of Tintin, that Mm. all set the popular culture abuzz. And by the way, in that movie, Andy Serkis plays Captain Haddock. So there's some cross-fertilization between this new Spielberg movie, which is directed by Spielberg but produced by Peter Jackson and has a, a supporting role with Andy Serkis as Captain Haddock. And when is this coming out? This is coming out next year in yes. the uh, summer, if summer, I recall. Yes. Summer next year. Well, some, next summer is going to be amazing for movies. Um, and, and actually, check that. It may actually be coming out this Christmas. I'm trying to remember. I thought it was summer next year, but I I'll wrote have it to down. Check. I wrote it down. I mentioned it last week, but yeah. Uh, well, co producer Peter Jackson shocked the world and showed up Friday morning in San Diego. <gasps> Peter so you, Jackson? In person. Oh. Gosh. Showed up and and the euphoria and applause shook the convention hall to its foundations. I can imagine. Jackson told audiences the decision to do the films with Spielberg was easy. Quote: I took two or three seconds to decide worth work to work with him. He said. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an amazing thing. Here's a Hobbit that likes to find an adventure. Oh my gosh! Wonderful. He has Bilbo's blood. <laughs> Go to the OneRing.net slash live for video replays of their coverage of Comic-Con, including that, you know, their coverage Thursday morning. They had done a panel on The Hobbit, and they, of course, covered this uh, this appearance on stage with Spielberg and Jackson together. And uh, the OneRing.net, again, that is um, one of the premier message boards for fans of uh, the movies and of the works of J.R. Tolkien. It's, but, it's the, the, the fan site Especially for people about the movies, another favorite is T-O-R-C, TheOneRing.com, which is more of a social networking. I would say that's more of a social networking thing. It's a very social place where lots of people hang out and we discuss the books. We have role play writing stories. We have, um, 
we talk about the books and movies, and, but it's it's much more uh, interactive as far as you know a message board for social right. interaction. There there is but commentary on Wondering dot yes. net, but they're both fabulous, and you really Absolutely. cannot be a fan of J.R.R. Tolkien without being involved in both the Wondering dot net and the Wondering dot com. Luke Evans, of course, has been cast as Bard the Bowman in The Hobbit, and he is also coming out shortly in. The Three Musketeers, he was in San Diego to promote some of the movies he's in, including uh, his Bard the Bowman in The Hobbit. There is uh, a video. Again, I would go to EmpireOnline.com and search for Luke Evans. He talks about his thoughts on the role of Bard the Bowman, mm. which are which are brief but interesting. But now the big news. The big news, okay. Not, not the minor news, okay. but Orlando Bloom is headed to New Zealand shortly to film his scenes, right? You can go to instylemag.coms.au to read about that. And you can go to telegraph.co.uk to read Richard Armitage and his story on all the dwarf training that he did. Mm. He's playing Thorin Oakenshield. Yes. But the big news... Peter Jackson posts his third production update video. Oh, yes. And as the Wondering.net posted, it mentioned, Peter Jackson knows that fans are salivating for more on the two Hobbit movies, <laughs> and wow, has he delivered. From the set, he leads viewers through memories from cast and crew of the first segment of shooting The Hobbit, including a surprise in the final shot. Mm. Please enjoy. You can go to facebook.com slash peterjacksonnz for the more than 13-minute video. And when I viewed it yesterday, again, it was just so thrilling because not only is there lots of, like, visual spoilers. If you don't want to see what the hobbits and the dwarves look like, don't watch this because you see what they're approximately what they're going to look like on the big screen. Yes. Although I suspect it'll look much richer on the big screen because then you'll have real cinematography with real lenses and filters. You'll have all the proper post-production work. And, of course, you'll have the actual 3D with the red cameras. Very, very, very high def, super high def. But there is wonderful scenes like Ian McKellen is asked if he knows the names of the dwarves. And without a moment's hesitation, he just reels off the name of 13 dwarves. <laughs> I mean, it just shows how Surian McKellen is just, yes. he's a genius in many ways. And there's the wonderful scene in this production video update of Galadriel and, and Kate Blanchett being fit for Galadriel's gown. Uh. She looks so fabulous in her little sterling silver, you know, real sterling yes. silver tiara i guess you'd say circlet little yes. crown little miniature crown she just you know when she puts on that gown and everything it's just it just takes you back to the good old days yes oh so i uh, and it has a great look at pinewood studios by the way uh, and you say well why was he doing the production video update now, what was Peter Jackson doing in Pinewood Studios? Which is where? In New Zealand? In England. England, okay. It's where James Bond is always filmed, okay. oh, right? Okay. One of the big stages is called the 007 stage. Okay. <laughs> uh, and there are many, many parts of that massive studio lot that are used for uh, simulations of mansions and simulations of waterways mm. and all that stuff in the James Bond movies. Well, I'm not going to spoil it for you, Alf Francis. You'll Don't have to go it. and watch the little production okay. video yourself. But when you watch it, be aware of the fact that there are these visual spoilers. You're going to see what the 13 dwarves look like, and you're going to see, actually, what Bilbo looks like. Oh, wow. Well, I will say, 
uh, for the Lord of the Rings movies, I was very committed to no spoilers. I, in fact, I stopped reading the books after I, I'd seen, because when I saw Fellowship of the Ring, I hadn't read any of the books. I was introduced to the story strictly through the movies and fell in love with it. As I uh, began to read the books, I realized I wanted to just enjoy the movies because there would only be the joy of discovery one time. Once the movies were out, then they were out. The books... You know, I can fill, I could fill in, I could revisit that with a, as a whole nother adventure. Um, but I, I didn't, I wanted to just experience the movie. So I also avoided all spoilers. Uh, you know, I saw one or two little trailers, but even that was like just, I just wanted to get it fresh when it came to the screen. This time around is a little different. So. I'm very excited because it's it's a wonderful journey just us being able to kind of track with this as things are are happening and the the reemergence of Middle Earth in uh, 2012 is just too exciting. So um, I'm having a, a different adventure this time, and I'm okay <laughs> with spoilers. But I want I don't want any spoiler for the spoilers. So I'll 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 see the production update. And I love because a lot of times I usually don't do my own movie research before the show because I love being able to hear these things from you. So I feel like I'm one of the listeners that's hearing this new movie updates, and then I can go home and watch. And look, and look these things up on my own. So thank you so much for bringing these um, these wonderful things for us to enjoy. Is there any other Hobbit movie news? Well, on the Hobbit movie, again, uh, Richard Armitage, I just briefly mentioned, uh, he was interviewed by Jasper Rees and at the uh, telegraph.co.uk. The Telegraph is a British newspaper. And at telegraph.co.uk, you can read in their culture section the interview that Jasper Rees did with Richard Armitage, who, by an interesting coincidence, is playing a Nazi in Captain America. So we have our Thorin Oakenshield from The Hobbit playing a, a Nazi bad guy in Captain America, which was last weekend's number one movie, as you probably know. I can't and wait to see that. also Hugo Weaving oh. as Red Skull, one of the really, really bad Nazi agents. And I have not yet been able to see it. The nieces and nephews didn't want to see it, so I suspect this week I'll go see it myself. Yes. Because I want to see Hugo Weaving. He's such a great actor. Uh, I'm sure you saw The Matrix. Yes. That, that was one oh of my, my favorite. Oh, my gosh. It was like, Star Wars was my favorite all-time movie. Then I had a brief stint with The Matrix, which I wasn't that much into the, the second and third movies. They were fine, but I, the original Matrix, I thought, was just amazing. It's an amazing And Hugo film. Weaving is such an amazing act, actor. Whether he plays a super good guy, like Eldron or a super bad guy, like, you know, the agent. Agent Smith. <laughs> Smith. It's like he's just has such an, an amazing presence on the screen and with his character. So when I saw last weekend the, um, the little cast thing for uh, Captain America, which I didn't get to see it because I just saw Harry Potter, which we'll talk we'll about We'll talk about in a moment. Um, and I saw Captain America and I said, oh, I want to go see it. And I saw Hugo re- weaving. And the first thing that came to my mind, well, the first thing was, oh, cool. And the second thing was, I wonder if he's a good guy or a bad guy. Because he plays so well at both. So apparently he plays a, um, the evil guy, an evil guy in, uh, in Captain America. Yes, he does. Which I'm sure he will do very well. Now, we are staring here at the beautiful Blu-ray edition, the Best Buy exclusive Blu-ray edition with the six pewter figurines of the Lord of the Rings Blu-ray, and I show it to the Elf Princess to remind her how great it was in the extended edition to see much more of Hugo Weaving and his great delineation of the role of Elrond. Yes. Well, and the other thing about the extended versions, we got to see so much more of the development, even also of Sauron, 
uh, Saruman, which uh, was interesting. Last week I um, was kind of, you know, reviewing some aspects of Star Wars, and I got to watch that wonderful scene between Yoda and Count Dooku. Oh and, my you know, God! Christopher Lee, you know, facing off with Yoda and his amazing voice. And he, I mean, again, he's one of those guys that can play. I'm trying to remember when I saw him uh, playing a good guy and what role I saw him playing a really good guy. But he, you know, he can play a really bad, bad guy too. But just the intensity of his presence on the screen, and uh, and of course, you know, we love, I love Yoda. But that whole scene, you know, where they are, you know, the the dark side and the light side. Um, are amazing and uh, just being reminded again of the power of his presence and being so excited that he will be coming back yes that's that's the rumor and it's going to be interesting to see he is also a great actor a great fine actor and how he's going to delineate the 60 year earlier stage of saruman before Mm -hmm. he's totally rotted by looking in the seeing stone yes the palantir yeah, it's going to be he's interesting. Seduced by the dark, but side. he's got like a sixty-five-year career, and he's done many, many roles, including some some good guys. And when he's a good guy, he can be very effective. But recently, because he is so tremendously fit, his 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 look is so tremendously fitted to being a bad guy, <laughs> and he's so excellent at playing villains. Yes. I mean, he is the villain yeah. par excellence. I mean, he is just it. Uh, it's hard to not think of him today, but 65 years ago, when he was much, much younger, he had a couple of romantic roles and uh, leading man sort of, you know, uh, uh, decent guy kind of roles. Yeah. But he quickly got involved in the Hammer Studios and the uh, horror movies, and he usually played the bad guy. Yeah. He reminds, uh, I think also of like Christopher Walken. I feel like he's another one of those guys that just, you know, he just uh, plays such a a great, bad, villainous kind of person. But I don't know that I've seen him in too many... uh, And yet when you see Hairspray, where he plays Travolta's father... I mean, I don't Christopher know that I Walken. Oh, I didn't get to see that. Oh, you need to see it. Even on video, it's uh-huh. not that bad. It'd be better to see it in the big screen. But Hairspray, the musical movie, the movie of the musical that was based on John Waters' original dramatic, cheaply made film called Hairspray. Mm-hmm. Hairspray, the movie by John Waters, was turned into a Broadway musical. And then that was filmed with Queen Latifah and Christopher Walken and John Travolta. Mm. as a big screen musical. And it's a fine, fine, beautiful movie in many ways. And one of the ways is you see Christopher Walken playing a good guy, a musical singing and dancing kind of guy as well. And he was excellent. Uh, But yes, I think also he, the physiognomy, that is the way he looks, the way his body moves, the way his face looks, and his acting talent is a broad range. Mm. But he really enjoys playing a bad guy because, of course, in real life, he's a very talented chef and a talented singing and dancing guy. Oh, yeah. And so in real life, he's just, you know, he I've met him ego. at the Telluride Film Festival. Oh. You know, he was in one of his standard bad guy roles, but we saw him at Telluride walking the streets and he was just, you know, he was a little shy like many actors, but he was just a genuine, wonderful guy. And, and Sir Christopher Lee is we know from his blog and from his various little video interviews, just this stately and kindly guy in real life <laughs> and an utter horrible <laughs> evil guy in the Star Wars yes. saga and in the Lord of the Rings. 
So um, lest our time completely get away from we us. We have to talk about we have to talk the a little Deathly bit about Hallows. The Deathly Hallows. Because, and it's like, well, what does Harry Potter really have to do with Lord of the Rings? Well, I think it has a lot to do in the sense of... Um, because this is what we love. It's the it's the it's the power and wonder of a of an amazing story, a magical story, a magical story, a fantasy story. And, uh, as as a as a woman, as a woman elf, I love uh, the story of J.K. Rowling. Rowling, you know. Um, in fact, on Lifetime last week, her this. Uh, uh, Magic Beyond Words, which is her story, was a made-for-TV movie. Um, it's a really delightful, I felt like the casting was really nice, delightful story of just her, you know, I'd gotten bits and pieces before. Of, she you know, is a very, very phenomenal woman, oh. someone who went from welfare and then conceived of the Harry Potter series in one fell swoop. Hard for me not to believe that Providence had something to do with that. Well, she had been working on it for quite a few years, but she had never shown any of the the anything she showed us it to her sister finally and her sister says you should try to publish this and then you know she goes to coffee house she's working on it she's bringing it all you know and she goes to a pawn shop gets a typewriter and um and did and, the first and, publisher accept it no did the second publisher accept none it? of the, did the third publisher accept it everybody rejected every it. single publisher that she, she submitted to it rejected it except I can't remember the name of the publishing house, but it was it wasn't like one of the major public houses. It, it was, was you a know. minor house in England. Yes. yes, and the first print run, I believe, was five thousand copies. And those five thousand, oh, on eBay, you don't even see them. But if when you do see them, they are multiple tens of thousands of dollars wow, for, for a mint copy. Yes. Wow, and, but it's just a delightful story, you know. And it's how you know, and it's how. Your life can change in an instant, and it's about going for your dream. You know, not everybody's going to be a Joanne Rowling, but some people might be, you know. And if that's if, if you've got a story, tell your story. If there's characters that are inside of you that are, you know, fighting to get out, let them out and let and them I have their story. And I believe she was a single mom, wasn't she? Well, she had been married, uh, and she had gone to Portugal. I think it was Portugal, met someone there, got married, and that's where she became pregnant. And then he, through various circumstances, you know, was drinking, was abusive, and she ah. had to leave and bring the child back to England. And then she was treated ra- very poorly when she went, you know, tried to get state assistance just to be able to take care of her child and was really kind of put through the mill, you know, and tried to get off of the state assistance by working. And they said, well, if you work, then we can't give you any assistance. She's like, well, how am I supposed to get off if I can't work? <laughs> and so that's Catch when she began, yeah, she began to work uh, uh, on the books. And then, of course, after the books came out within... Three and a half years, she is a millionaire, and now and a one multiple of the, billionaire. Now one of the richest just, women in one of the on richest the people on the planet, and richer than the Queen of England. Yeah, <laughs> who would have but thought? But there's a problem with the Deathly Hollows Part Two. Um, as beautiful as a film as it is, there is a little little thing. We love the achievements of J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. and we love the role. I should say the character of Hermione. I, well, and this is just my personal thing. And again, I'm one of those people um, who comes to many of these films and I just enjoy the films. And then sometimes I'll read the books, like uh, the Twilight series. You know, I know some people are like, oh, that's for teenagers. I love the Twilight series. I love the concept of vampires that were protecting humans and, you know, not eating them. And I just, I love the whole thing and the love story and everything. When I went to read the books, you know, so they were okay. You know, you didn't add that much to me for it. Um, Harry Potter, I haven't read the books yet. So I've, just gone to the movies and had to 
you know, hope for consistency throughout all of these seven movies that it carried the story, which kind of did. You know, I, I felt like I had the gist of the story with each thing going on. The thing that was a little disappointing for me with um, the second part of the Deathly Hallows was was with Hermione because I felt like in earlier on in the films she had very strong character very you know very strong she was a very strong person self-assured um, yeah she was actually a little more with it than the, the boys were you know right. when they first show up at Hogwarts you know she's uh, better in school she's better at classes she's learning faster you know she and, shows more initiative yeah she's got a little more spunk um and I kind of felt like she, you know, was just kind of like reduced to a little, little, little bit wimpy, you know. Even when Ron uh, um, uh, Weasley, you know, gives her the fourth Horcrux and says, you know, you destroy it. She goes, I don't think I can. It's like, what? What? You're Hermione. <laughs> right. So, and when we contrast this to Peter Jackson's brilliant coup de theatre, mm. when, when Peter Jackson changed Tolkien and had Arwen rescue Frodo yes. at the Ford from the Black Horseman, and that was a brilliant change to what was a great, great, brilliant book. And even though some people might say, well, you know, there's no evidence that Arwen was a horseman, I would take exception to that because, wait a minute, this is the granddaughter of Galadriel, a Noldo who came across the you know, cross the grinding ice, uh, you know, with the, the, all the rest of the exiles of the Noldren from Eldemar. Right. She was no wimpy, wimpy woman. Right. And, um, you know, her, her father Elrond fought in the, the Alliance of Elves and Men. I mean, there is every possibility that Arwen herself, I mean, and she is the one who even says, you know, the forging of the sword, reforging of the sword. So, uh, I don't think it's, to say that she wasn't a good horseman or she wouldn't have even been, um, like, there was some exception. I guess there was a big uproar about, you know, because the, they were going to put Arwen at Helm's Deep and have her in a, kind of, they called it Zen Arwen, you know, Zena Arwen role. I think it could have been possible, you know. I don't think she was a wimpy, I don't think she was a wimpy girl. And in the that scene especially, which is one that, in which I fell in love with the movies, where at the end, where she faces off of the Nazgul, she calls up the powers of the river, washes them downstream, falls onto the bank, Frodo's fading fast, and she says, what grace has given me, let it pass to him. Sure, that's not in the book. However, at the end of the book, where at the um, coronation and at the wedding, Arwen grants to Frodo, she says, I give you my gift. Yes. Ring bearer to sail right. into the West. So in right. some ways, the grace that was given to her, she did extend to Frodo. And of course, you have the strength of Eowyn. Oh, you yes. have the strength of Galadriel. Yes. And even so, though they have small, kind of short roles in the movies, they're, they're true to what, um, I mean, Tolkien never made, you know, had characters that were wimpy women, nor evil. At least not in his, I mean, not to say that there aren't evil women, but in, not in Tolkien's mythology. So, Strong? The, the Deathly Hallows uh, is a good film. It is well constructed. I very much enjoyed it. But it would have been nice to have Hermione cut off that snake's head, regardless oh, of what's yeah. in the books. <laughs> the thing that would have been dramatically appropriate for cinema, yeah. from a cinematic standpoint, it should have been Hermione that stroked off the head of that snake. Yeah. Absolutely. That would have been cool, like like Eowyn with the Nazgul. Yes, you know that. Yeah, that would have. Been, I don't know what it is in the books. I guess I'll but find out. At some I point. must tell you that adaptation is a very difficult problem, Elf Princess. 
And you know what? And we have not very much time, so uh, we're going to take another show. And we are <laughs> going to take another show. We're going to have to talk more about adaptation. Because I really want to, uh, I would love to explore <laughs> and have you really talk to us and, and help us understand a little bit of the difference between adaptation and movies that are adapted for the screen and movies that are written for the screen. Like, you know, Star Wars. You know, to me, there were no Star Wars books. You know, you just, what you got, what was on the screen was what you got. You and know? it was directly from the mind of George Lucas. Yes. And One of the greatest feats of cinema screenwriting is his six screenplays. Yes. His six screenplays are just brilliantly composed from the first scene of episode one to the final climactic scene of episode six. Just a brilliant saga. And, and you didn't need the books. I mean, they, they've now written some Star Wars books. But, but that was after the fact. It yeah, started as a screenplay. You didn't need any of that, even to get backstory of any of these things. It was all kind of there. And um, so for me, I felt like with the Harry Potter series, it's like I felt like I'm kind of tracked with it, but I've had to. Right. And I will, I will summarize my feeling about adaptation this way. It's generally so big a problem to adapt a novel that it should not be done. Really? And we will talk more in another show about oh. screenplays, adaptations, and the right way to do adaptations. Well, and see, I, w- I would disagree. I wouldn't say it shouldn't be done, I, but because I'm very grateful that there is a Lord of the Rings uh, film, you know, screen adaptation. In general, it shouldn't be. However, Lord but of the I Rings is the, is the contrary example that proves the rule. <laughs> well, and the thing is that I, I feel like if you're going to do it, because I love retelling stories it's like you know if the story isn't working for you retell the story you know just like but the first when time. you retell the story you must variate you yeah. must have a variant you must change up things yeah well and the thing is that um so i i just looked i don't look at it like comparing peter jackson's lord of the rings and J.R. tolkien's sort of these i just look at it like this is a story about these characters and this quest and this thing and this is peter jackson's telling of that story it's like you know when you look at the legends of old they had many different stories of these legends and there were many different versions of these legends and i look at it like this is peter jackson's version of the legend of the lord of the rings and then there's J.R. tolkien's version of the legend of the lord of the rings exactly right and by the way since we're talking about writers and there was and even writing, an animated version which was which was peter beagle's uh, ralph bakshi's uh, version yeah. however we should mention one of the great programs here on kuci irvine 88.9 one of our great fellow programs is writers on writing oh, every absolutely. wednesday morning with barbara demarco barrett, barrett. <laughs> and marie stone as I yes. remember the names. But Writers on Writing actually has real writers, uh, mostly of books, some poetry, some short stories, some nonfiction, but actual writers coming on discussing the craft of writing. And um, she also has agents and publishers. It's the whole She picture. has podcasts of her shows, so you can visit her website, which I believe is penonfire.com or .org. I think it's penonfire.com. She, you know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Barbara Marco Barrett is um, an adjunct professor. You know, she teaches creative writing at the here extension program at here at UCI. UCI. That's right. And uh, she also does some um, salon series down in Corona Del Mar occasionally where she has writers come in. I got to uh, have one of the rare and 
she said probably would not be coming doing too much too many more per um uh, public appearances because her her sight was failing uh, carolyn c you know oh amazing. my gosh yes an amazing and she, she was she was there in corona del mar we all were in a little room right oh the my room with gosh her. yes it was what a, it wonderful was. so anyhow that's just one yeah. example of a great program here on kuci you can go to kuci.org and click on schedule and see all the fabulous music shows we've got classical jazz reggae hip-hop rock um uh Salsa, we have everything. everything. And we also have wonderful talk shows, what we call technically public affairs programs. Writers on Writing Wednesday mornings is one of them. And so is What Would Arwen Do on Tuesday (laughs) afternoons at 4 p.m. Which this edition, our anniversary, two-year anniversary edition for us being together, a little over six years for the show, is coming to a close because we are sadly, again, out of time, and I didn't even get oh to play. Oh my gosh! Are you sure that clock is accurate? <laughs> you didn't even get to play the wonderful thing you had selected well, that's for us. Okay, we will save that for another time. I was going to play a little bit of the professor um, uh, reading from some of the Tom Bombadil, which were you know parts of that are a wonderful part of the when story of the Lord of the Rings. When we talk about adaptations, we yeah, will have to play that. In, yeah, but he could have. <coughs> there could be a whole movie made just on you know the story of Tom Bombadil. Yes, and. Um, so we will save that in our music for another time. We will be back next week and with more adventure reports and um, things of interest and curiosity, hopefully. And who knows? We may even run into someone that we want to have an interview with. You know, we've met some really amazing people um, that are um, Tolkien fans lately, and we'll have to have the horse, oh, the horse maiden, the shield maiden on before too long. So lots of wonderful things. If you would like to contact us, please send us an email at askanelf at yahoo.com, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F, askanelf at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you're scootering out there, I'd love to hear from you and hear about some of your scooter experiences. Um, maybe I should start a little club, the Scooter Elves. <laughs> That's a great idea. In any case, if you want to contact us, askanelf at yahoo.com, A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next week, my Hobbit friend, Elin Salalamin Amentialvo, a star shines on the hour of our meeting. That's certainly true, although today there's a lot of sunshine on this hour <laughs> of our meeting. There's yes. lots of sunshine here in the Shire. It is beautiful here in paradise in Southern California. So until next week, I hope uh, if you're listening that you will come back. And we hope to hear from you and to all of our friends listening here in Southern California and online and through the message board and through podcasts. Thank you so much for being a part of our adventure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And please stay tuned. Coming up in just a few moments, we will be spending some time with uh, some rebroadcast of a show that was very popular here a couple of years ago, the Serena Sharp Show, here on KUCI in Irvine. The greatest radio station in the history of Middle Earth. Yes, indeed. And we're going to leave with a little uh, cover of Into the West, Academy Award-winning music by Howard Shore and Annie Lennox. And this sung by Colette Baron, um, Colette Aubrey, who, uh, if you'd like to check her out on Facebook or the web, Colette Aubrey and the Shanti Soldiers. And here's Into the West. So, my friend, until next week, Namaria. It's been a great two years. Yes, amazing.